0: Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. I am Alex Wilhelm and joining me as always is Danny Crichton, TC's managing editor. Danny, how are you? I'm doing all right, just trying to stay socially distanced from other humans. Uh, it's a good thing that you and I are just like born introverts because this isn't really a change for me. I kind of just stay home and nothing changes. I feel I feel really well-suited for this.
1: Well, the, the best part of the coronavirus for me has been every time that someone asks for a meeting, I'm just like coronavirus and then the meeting goes away. It's amazing. It's like a get out of jail free, free card in Monopoly.
0: Strange times indeed in this era of the coronavirus, but here on the show, a fun day, a good day, and a day that has something new to it. It is the very first episode in which Natasha Moscarenas is on the equity team. Tosh, how are you?
2: I am good. Excited to be working with you again and just amped to be podcasting.
0: On that point, Natasha and I were colleagues for a while at Crunchbase News. I left and then Natasha came over to TC as well, but Natasha has had a long and illustrious career. She's worked at the SF Chronicle as well as the Boston Globe. She went to school in Boston, grew up in New Jersey, focuses on early stage startups and VC, likes to write long form stuff. Tasha, you're digging into how people actually get their hands on VC, and I was hoping you could tell us kind of what that means.
2: Yes. Yeah, so when I was noodling over how to cover diversity in venture capital and startups and do it in a way that's useful for readers, I figured out that the way I like to approach it is looking at the different networks startups take or people honestly take to get their first check, get their first yes, their first warm intro, if you will. And I think that that looks really different for a Stanford grad versus a non-Stanford grad. So it's a really easy way to track the certain luxuries or privileges certain people have and certain people don't.
0: I'm excited that you're already here and you're already making Stanford jokes. That's a very, very good sign that you're going to fit right in on the equity team. It
2: begins.
0: (laughs) I'm really glad you're here with the early stage focus because I cover late stage, you cover early stage, and Danny is a former VC. So between the three of us, we should be able to take on any topic that comes our way. So we make a pretty good team. Okay, last thing. Before we jump into the news, let's go over where we can find you.
2: Yes, I am at Nmask underscore, and that's N-M-A-S-C underscore.
0: Danny, can you spell out your last name for people so everyone can find you on Twitter as well? I, 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 apparently people find me in real life,
1: even though they've never seen my face. Uh, hello to the friend who stopped me on the street randomly. Um, but my, my Twitter handle is at Danny Crichton. D-A-N-N-Y-C-R-I-C-H-T-O-N.
0: And I think with all that throat clearing out of the way, we can begin uh, with, I mean, that's the end of the good news of the show, right? That's all the good stuff out of the way. I'm not I sure think. my Twitter handle's good news. Well it's, not, well, it's neutral. It's not bad news because it, it, we're recording this Thursday afternoon as always so we can get it out Friday morning for everyone. And uh, as we're seeing here, the stock markets have gone from like bad to worse. We're in correction territory. It's a bear market. Danny this is the end of the 11 year bull run i think yeah you know since the 2008 global financial crisis
1: which which saw the markets you know crash 30 40 50% depending on the metric you're looking at we've had a, this massive run one of the longest runs in the post war era 11 years of growth on the nasdaq the dow and across the economy And all that came to a screeching halt in like a week. With the Dow Jones Industrial Average averaging down, I think, right at the second, about 28% from its peak just a couple weeks ago. We were just doing, Alex and I were writing a story about kind of the last 90 days of coronavirus and econ news. And and what shocked me was the Dow hit a peak on February 12th, and (laughs) NASDAQ's peak was February 19th. This is 22 days ago. So we've now seen completely uh, go the other direction. So, so both hit correction territory about a week and a half ago. That means it was down 10%. And then we hit the bear market, which is 20%. Now we're entering, I don't even know what we call, I don't think we have a, an animal for for this, but now we're down 30%. I guess we're in like a, a unicorn death. Dung call- beetle market. A dung beetle market. There, <laughs> that, that's beetle. an Alex trademark right there. So, so I mean, what a what a reversal and so quickly. And I, I, I did just be, was told by Chris, our producer, that um, dung beetles do not carry COVID nineteen. So, if you do have, oh, c- uh, dung beetles. Full um, you can feel free to keep them around.
0: Uh, so we're going to keep watching this story. We've been actually covering the public markets more than we kind of like to. We are a private market focused publication, but we haven't been able to look away. Tosh, you've been looking at a couple of different stocks inside the markets that have been doing things. I think Zoom and Peloton have been on your radar. I'm I'm kind of curious why.
2: Peloton was kind of a joke yesterday and the New York Times came out with the story today about people taking it more seriously at home fitness in general starting to take a, a spike and I know personally I plan on starting to run and I quit my gym membership so it's definitely happening. Overall though I think for a lot of people it was a moment where they were like all right even if we're not in a city even if we don't have a million cases or hundreds of cases of coronavirus we're listening now so I think it was definitely a pause for anyone and everyone. It was
1: it was certainly a pause for me. I mean, I I usually get about 20 to 30 steps in every morning on my commute from my bedroom to my my tech crunch work desk <laughs> uh, approximately 15 feet away, but um, I think that the shocking part is, you know, uh, exercise bikes have been around a long time peloton had this controversy around an advertisement campaign at, over christmas I, alex remind me it ipo last year if i recall early 2019
0: the late 2019 in september of last year
1: oh that's that's how fast the news is accelerated everything <laughs> seems so far in the in the rearview mirror and you're like oh, that was just 2 weeks ago when we were at the top um but peloton it started really well it's declined and now you know the argument is it's like who's going to go to equinox when equinox potentially could give you coronavirus so so a, a huge increase remote classes are a new thing. And that's sort of the same story with Zoom.
0: But I, I want to talk about the scale of Peloton's recent declines, because we've seen the markets repriced a lot of companies lately. Peloton's a great example of a company that had a return to form that has been obviated by the recent market movement. So if you go back to December, Peloton spiked at like $36 a share. It was up quite a lot from the IPO price, a successful run. Today, it's at $19.70 a share, and it's off nearly 10.5% as we record right now. So. A stock that people thought would do well is really doing the opposite, showing you that no one's really safe in today's public markets. Everyone's getting hit. Travel's getting hit. Volatility is up. Denny's SaaS is even down and, and cryptos are down. It's really kind of a holistic bit of value destruction across every asset class that I track, at least.
1: I mean, the other shocking thing that's happened in the last two, three weeks is we learned that uh, cryptocurrency is kind of bullshit. <laughs> I did write that. True. I wrote that in a much more pleasant text online. But you know, so so gold has gone up like actual real gold, like, you know, metal gold price of increase because it's a t- typically considered a safe asset. In times of uncertainty, you can just go back to gold. and And crypto is supposed to be or at least in one of the narratives is a form of digital gold. You know, mm-hmm. it's a way to save value online in a safe format that might be immune to shocks like government intervention and inflation. And then over the last two, three weeks, we've seen a collapse in Bitcoin, Ethereum, XRP, and a variety of other cryptocurrencies just, just dive. I mean, crypto is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Bitcoin is down 30, Ethereum, I think, was down like 35, and XRP That's is brutal. down 40. And so, so ironically, it's actually tracking the U.S. market even more intensely, so rather than being like a flight to quality, it's like a flight to the ground, so to speak. Similar to the airlines, it's just like goes straight into the it's, ground. It's the inverse of a hedge. So, so I mean, I think we're, we're stress testing the whole system, right? We're stress testing a lot of these stocks. We're stress testing their business models. And I don't think a lot of people are liking what they're seeing.
0: No, I mean, SaaS stocks are at their lowest point for a year. Just to put another kind of data point out there, if you're watching this from a startup perspective. But let's, let's take what we talked about and pivot it a little bit to our main topic, which is private companies, high growth businesses, and venture capital. I'm really curious about what might happen to these younger companies that aren't really trading. They don't see that much price volatility per se, but they're certainly they're in the same environment and the same economy that the larger companies are in. And so I was thinking about things like we might see SaaS valuations at the earlier stages pull back a little bit from their recent highs. We might see you know D C companies struggle because Casper has struggled. And so I'm curious, Danny, or Tosh, really, what do you expect to see for younger companies as this chaos continues at the uh, public markets level?
2: The part that I'm most confused about slash stressed about preemptively is the hiring freezes. For example i talked to top hat which is an edtech startup they were saying that they're seeing a surge in activity because universities are moving online and schools are closing and need to use their resources more than ever they said that they're going to hold off on hiring until a couple months just to see how things shake out
0: danny what do you got
1: i mean i think i mean ed is going to be really interesting to watch obviously remote work which we've kind of talked about ad nauseum. to me the the big question though is you know what's the opportunity here i mean obviously Um, You have millions of people working from home, which means more distractions, less boring meetings with boring other people, and more exciting online meetings on topics you actually care about. And so, you know, obviously there's going to be a little bit of retrenchment. Obviously, I think a lot of companies, like Tosh just said, are either going to lay off or or more likely just not hire, right? They might have thought they were going to double their employee count this year. They might keep it flat. But I do think that for a number of startups, you're going to see an opportunity where they say, look, there's a unique market up moment. The same is true for VCs. There's some VCs who are actually looking to double down in investing in this era, right? Because there's better deals. It's less competitive. Yep. They might get into something better than they might have otherwise before. You know, that doesn't mean that, you know, the median investor or the median founder is going to grow or try to expand rapidly. But for a certain uh, subset of these folks, um, you know, like any market, uh, there's always opportunity somewhere. And so, uh, you know, for the folks who can find it, I, I think they're going to invest really heavily.
2: Right. And just to piggyback off of that, I know Twitter is a public company, not a startup, but Twitter has kind of been talking about the remote only transition. And it feels like this is really a time for them to show if they can do it and if it's going to keep their productivity up. Whether that means that the their ad revenue is going to increase. I don't know, but in terms of just testing out that thesis that they had been really having on their shoulders, I think that'll be an interesting thing to track too. Well,
1: certainly now that the CEO is not remote working from Africa, uh, <laughs> following the the denouement of the Elliott investment which we talked about in equity what, last week, I think that was literally last I think week. That, that was, was like the fastest week. like CEO like surrender I've ever seen in history. It's like a Friday investment and then Monday they're like, he's going to do everything that change. Um, it's always nice when the work happens over the weekend, but uh, I do think. We're We're going to see a lot more productivity. And and again, like, you know, we still have an election going on. We have a lot of other macro factors. Just as we were um, putting this show together, the the Federal Reserve has announced, I guess, I just saw the headline, a $1.5 trillion stimulus plan. And that's just for the US and I expect similar things in Europe and the UK. And so there's just so much going on every single hour. This show is probably going to be completely out of date by the time you listen to it in, in six hours.
0: I mean, don't, don't tear us down that far, but I do want to go back a little bit to what Tosh was saying about hiring and companies and kind of who might be still putting capital to work on the private side. And I just talked to the, oh gosh, this is the CEO, one of the co-founders of, of Monday.com, which is a company that's, has, has blasted past 130 million ARR. And actually Chris and I had it in the studio a couple of weeks ago, we have an interview coming up with them, but I was asking them about the, the usage changes they've seen as a remote work friendly product. They've seen obviously a, a rise in interest and a rise in new accounts and so forth, all very bullish for them. But I asked the hiring question. I'm like, look, guys, stuff's weird. You know, are you going to keep hiring kind of at pace? And they were like, yeah, we're not going to stop. So I think there's a certain class of companies. I think the larger companies that have a bigger revenue base and can afford to spend the cash are going to hire pretty aggressively. I wonder if it's going to be the smaller companies, those that have the most risk, the most variance uh, that, are going to, that are going to pull back. And so we might see an even further tipping of the startup world in favor of the later stage companies, the unicorns, if you will. Uh, and I don't know if that's going to be good for early stage firms, but they didn't seem worried at all. They seem yeah, stoked. So
1: I, I definitely think in some cases, it's going to be obvious. So the remote work companies are going to double down. I expect Zoom is going to be hiring rapidly to try to lock in a lot of customers. I, I think one of the interesting spaces that, I mean, it's very near and dear to our heart is actually advertising, right? Media. You know, advertising generally does horrifically terribly in a downturn because yeah. no one advertises when you, you're not really growing. On the flip side, there's more attention now, you know, human attention, more time for people to actually look at advertising. They're at home. They're watching more videos. They're watching more Netflix, everything else. And so there's a weird kind of like pro and con going on right now you have more time than ever companies are sort of not growing so it'll be interesting to see how the advertising revenue changes this year i mean i could actually imagine going up let's say the olympics are cancelled where does the billion dollars of advertising budget that was already slotted for the olympics where does that go Is that going to go into online networks? Is Google and and Facebook going to do super well in the next couple of cycles? Are we going to do well at Verizon, our parent company? I think we're going to find out soon.
2: I think about the NBA canceling its season. What a crazy thing to hear in the radio when I'm coming back from Costco with NyQuil in my hands. (laughs) And I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy because obviously they'd want to make every cent they could. Everyone's home. Everyone would watch the games. And it just is, yeah, another reminder of how serious it and, is.
1: And uh, they just canceled the A's, as our executive producer, Henry Pickovit, was quite, quite annoyed by. They canceled the <laughs> A's game in Oakland, and he had a ticket there because of the, the large event policy, which says that you yes. can't host, I think, either 1,000 or 250-person events or more in Oakland. And so, what, again, another category, esports. Right. Which Mm -hmm. is traditionally, I mean, in in Asia, at least is in huge stadiums, in some cases, tens of thousands of people watch live as spectators. But I think the question will be, is it just as exciting on Twitch and on a lot of other live streaming platforms? And is this an opportunity to kind of break into the public consciousness, you know, a sport that was hard before, but now now there's nothing else to watch. So uh, what are people going to watch for competition? Right. Like, you know, again, there's this window of opportunity. It's like normally you're up against Steph Curry or whoever. What are you going to do now?
0: Well, against Steph Curry and McLaren F1, because you know the NBA is off, F1's having problems. The A is not playing, and making Henry mad is the first good thing to come out of coronavirus naturally, because anything that makes Henry unhappy is an A plus. <laughs> um, but what, what's fascinating that we've seen kind of in the background of all these stuff we're talking about is how much money has been raised by VCs. We've seen NEA put together this week three point six billion dollars. Felicia's just put together a little over five hundred million dollars. That's four billion dollars between two firms recently. So there's still an enormous amount of money, dry powder in the kind of normal parlance, being put aside to invest in companies. So firms that are still going to be hiring should have, if they're of high quality, plenty of, of, of kind of ammunition for that. I don't know how fast that new capital will be invested, of course, but they certainly have the, the money to move ahead.
1: Well, definitely. And I think, I think, you know, here's another question that I don't think a lot of people are asking, which is, you know, who is going to be the first limited partner? You know, the first person who's backed one of these funds to actually renege. Because it's going to happen, right? You know, a lot of these funds, if you had a a large public markets fund, which is actually your more liquid, you know, capital, right? So your your portfolio managing at the LP level, let's say 30 or 40% is in, in stock. And that's what you sell when you need to do a capital call from a VC, when you actually need to give that dry powder over to the VC to invest in a startup what happens when that money's not there? You just lost 35% of the marketplace. This happens. Like I have actually seen wires go haywire where someone just didn't wire at the closing. And it, it's shocking to people. I mean, the Valley, never it's so unheard of that we don't really have systems in place. In many cases, a lot of investments, there's no escrow. Just assume wow. that everyone's going to wire the money at the right time. And, and I, I do think we're going to see, just given how much the gyrations have hit the public markets, I think we will see an LP probably in the next couple of weeks who get a cap, you know, gets a capital call maybe for 50 million or something like that. They go, damn, we just don't have that ready to go. And we're not prepared to sell at the bottom of the market to make it
0: happen. Yeah. it's good. I mean, And the, the more the markets drop, the higher the chance that goes up and the more likely it's going to happen soon. So keep your eyes out for that. But let's talk about the other people that are fundraising out there, not just venture capital firms. Startups are, of course, picking up capital. And uh, Mr. Crichton, you put together a a funny punny headline called the dollars and cents of raising VC during the coronavirus pandemic. And Very funny. Uh, it was it was medium funny, you know. Kind for of for like me, that's right like a funny. nine out of ten. That's true because you're not very funny. It's
1: true. <laughs> the um.
2: graphic is what got me to click into it. So. Yeah. <laughs> I even got again. a
1: colleague, my direct colleague, actually read the article. This is
0: exciting. <laughs> I want I want to point out that Danny and I are sometimes mean to each other on the show, but to be clear, I think Danny is fantastic and tremendous. Okay, now back to the story. Why why did you write this? And two, if you were a startup looking to go out there and raise money, what are some things to not do? As you were out there trying to raise capital during this this period of increased fear and risk. Yeah, I mean,
1: obviously, the, the story came from a lot of my conversation with founders who are just, you know, uh, in some ways, I don't want to say panicking, because it's not like the right word. But it's just like, there's a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of ambiguity about the future of the fundraising market. And remember, we have this sort of classic rule that you don't fundraise in the summer right? Because VCs go on vacation, or at least some, you know, part of the partnership is on vacation every week from June through August. And so, you know, you know this is sort of the last window to fundraise before the summer vacation kind of hits. And so, you know, what do you do? Coronavirus is shutting down whole offices, no one's taking meetings anymore. You know, a lot of the LP funding is sort of drying up. So what's going on? I, I think there's a couple of lessons here. One is, as we just discussed, you know, with Felicis and uh, NEA, there's a lot of dry powder, And, you know, the valuations are going to decrease for a lot of startups in the next couple of weeks. It's inevitable. Like, that doesn't mean it's going to be an 80% drop. But, you know, even a haircut of 15-20% from highs just a couple weeks ago may surprise a lot of founders. That said, there is money out there. A lot of angels want to invest. There's a lot of seed funds that have raised $30, $40, 50000000 million funds, and they need to get that out there as soon as possible. And this might be their best opportunity to get a return in recent memory, right? They can get into that SaaS company that had a 30x multiple, now it has a 10x multiple. And so I, I do hear from at least some VCs that they're looking to double down and actually expand the amount of investing that they do. They're not taking a wait and see. Obviously, a lot of others are taking a wait and see. And then, you know, when it comes to actually fundraising itself, I think... The lesson i've heard from vcs and founders is that the biggest challenge is going to be around momentum right so the, the hardest part of closing a venture fund is can you get everyone around the table at the same time with the same terms and actually close on a term sheet and that requires a lot of momentum and without having mm-hmm. any physical meetings i mean at least in the bay area it sounds like no one's meeting anyone anymore it's just harder on zoom to build the kind of rapport you need between investor and founder and to get around closed and so i gave a couple of tips on how to go about doing that The reality is, is I think you just have to triage much more aggressively. I mean, we talked about a week ago using DocSend data that the average or one of the clusters of uh, seed funders talked to 90 to 200 pre-seed investors before locking in their term sheet, right? Today, you probably are still going to have the same numbers, but instead of continuing the conversation with a lot of those folks, you are going to have to triage and say, look, these 60 people are just not going to pull the trigger. They're not in the market right right now. They're not going to commit. And um, if you can triage and focus on the ones who do, I do still think it's possible to get rounds done today. I could be wrong. In two weeks, I'm going to bite my my tongue. But um, at least for now, from what I hear, a lot of funds are still in the market and they're just they're just trying to find the best deals possible.
0: I'm curious if we're going to see, because everyone's telling me the same thing, Danny, that they have capital, they're putting it to work, their investment cadence hasn't changed, they're not worried about valuations, that great companies always get funded. And I, I, it's the same five things I always kind of hear. I, I'm curious if it's going to bear out and we'll be able to look at the data for Q1 uh, across the three months in a little bit. And we'll see if people are pulling the trigger as often as they have been. I don't think they are. I think there's more of a slowdown than people are talking about. That's my Mm. prediction or my guess. Because people just aren't doing much. I mean, they're they're at Costco like you know, Tosh was. You know, they're just buying tons of hand sanitizer, <laughs> and tequila, and they're bunkering up.
2: Just jumping into, I think that the impact on seed and early stage startups will be able to, will be really interesting to track versus late stage startups. It'll be easier to get seed funding than it is for late stage companies, just due to lack of due diligence needed to vet a founder and a beta product versus a company trying to raise its Series D. So that'll also be very clearly reflected in numbers. So it'll be really fun to pour through those once we get them.
0: Oh, so your point is that because early stage companies are less complex, they're easier to fund if you're doing remote meetings versus a late stage company. You need a data room and all sorts of other shenanigans that are more in person.
2: Exactly. So I've talked to a couple of couple investors that have been doing remote investing for a while now. And that's kind of the thing they said. They said, it's a really great way to invest in companies, it saves time. You can do four 30-minute meetings back-to-back and not even, you know, hop in an Uber, or jump on a scooter across San Francisco.
1: But that's the best part about San Francisco is the <laughs> traffic.
2: I mean, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but no, it's or the so recess,
1: <laughs> Or the recess, as we always love to joke on this show, the recess playground at South Park, the infamous swing.
0: South Park is not people give South Park and some a really bad rap, but like it's not it's nearby the TC office. You can walk there. It's usually it's a south. very pleasant 0. 0.1 acre. Yeah, Poor
2: South Park, because a cafe that is brought back to life from Brex had a case of positive coronavirus. It's like, I think, yeah. 295 The feet South away. Park Cafe. Yeah, it's, I think it's 290 feet away from Kleiner Perkins. So I actually. I think it's like out.
1: 300 feet from every single venture firm. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was gonna I say I was they're, like, they're, they're Kleiner, The Returns of the Jedi, <laughs> <laughs> The <laughs> Rise
0: of the Sky Virus. I don't know. Yeah. Sith Lord, a.k.a. I don't know, Mamoon. Uh, Anyways, Tosh, can we go back to how you know that it's 290 feet away? Because that is a very precise amount (laughs) of space.
2: So shout out Henry for telling me to be direct in my edits because I mentioned it in a story I wrote about venture capitalists that are moving to remote only. And the way I looked at the story was talking to the ones that have been doing it for a while now. and They had talked to me about kind of the benefits and the limitations of investing virtually. One Mm. investor I talked to, Turner Novak invests out of Ann Arbor, he said nine months ago, people were kind of giving him troubles just for wanting to...
1: The middle finger, you can say it. (laughs)
2: I will not yet. I will soon grace into that. Okay, into the, the freshman year.
1: You know, it's, once you become a senior, you know, uh, four years in, you'll understand that people can just swear in the show. It'll all and begin. You can override and override the crisp yet. bleeping.
2: Um, but he did tell me how nine months ago when he was starting in VC, he was struggling to get investors to believe that it's okay to be a remote investor. And now here we are, and everyone is talking about doing it. And I thought a really interesting point when I was talking to investors, Elizabeth Yin from the Hustle Fund, VC, who we've talked about a bunch, has written for us before. She was saying that she, before this even happened, she was doing it because I believe about 70% of their investments are outside of the Bay Area, and they wanted to keep it consistent in how they invest in their startups. So they had only taken remote meetings just to level the playing field a little bit.
0: Okay, so that's all great, but back to 290 feet. <laughs>
2: I was, so I was, I wanted to quote Kleiner Perkins and see if that proximity to a coronavirus case had changed their policy. Oh, so
0: they told you they were that, that many feet away.
2: I, I Google Maps it, okay? That oh, okay. Was, okay. That okay. was the answer I was trying to avoid. We use
0: satellite photography,
1: CIA crypto analysts, <laughs> and people of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency to figure out the 290 feet. Exactly. I will ask a question 17 times
0: if that's what it takes to get the
1: answer that I want. <laughs> for for that's, the ha- record, that's a hashtag capital J journalism going on right for there. For the record, yes, Kleiner
2: Perkins has not moved fully remote as of yet, but they said that they have done at least one virtual investment in the past and are continuing to closely monitor the situation.
0: That's the most political thing I've ever heard. I I, I, I didn't want to make fun of them because I didn't have a reason to. But I'm just at least one. Is it two or is it one? Right, right, like, right. It's at a least discrete one. Number. It's it, a- it,
1: well, they said it's a virtual, and and I love the the you know overuse of the word virtual because is it virtual? Is it in remote or virtual? As in it was like not real money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was like, All it's okay like I, I have a virtual
1: stock portfolio. It's not going to be my greatest four hundred one k. But I, I you know talking about people going fully remote. The other big news I think since we last have hosted equity is that uh, YC Demo Day. For the first time in its history is going fully remote starting on Monday they actually accelerated. this is the strangest thing by the way but they accelerated the demo day by a week to this Monday from I believe the following Monday if I'm remembering my dates right and so we actually have YC Demo Day coming in just a couple days here and I guess uh, the last thing I heard and I apologize if this is just wrong the last thing I heard is that they're going to do one slide per startup and it's going to be like a pre-done video by each startup so they're not going to do it live they're just going to have the video uh, the startups host of like a, a what a one or two minute pitch and you hit the play yeah. button and you just kind of go and i was joking internally that like by getting rid of all the audio and the vi- vi- visuals and you just have one slide that might actually increase the valuation for a lot of startups. I mean, it's yeah,
2: gonna, it's gonna flatten
0: them out. I there think. There will be, it's be less
2: be Twitter headless. jokes. When I was at YC Demo Day last Demo Day, there was someone, there was a side that was just like Nike is evil, and we are going to be bigger than Airbnb, and those were just so easy to be memes and, and tweets. There'll be less of that, at least.
0: I'm disappointed though, because I was gonna, so I was gonna fly out next Thursday for YC Demo Day. We have some cool stuff planned around it, both for TC and for equity, like we did last year, and it was gonna be a lot of fun. We had a lot of stuff kind of on the books that had to get pushed for this and then they just pushed the entire thing up by a week. So it's going to be wild. I mean, a little behind the scenes stuff here, but like we're still figuring out exactly how we're going to be covering this, the best way to approach it, how to disseminate information. But like I'm covering one more YC company from this batch called fitness AI. And you know, I ended our call with like, Hey, I'll be a demo day. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. We can say hi in person. And now it's like, Oh, JK, I'm absolutely not going to be there. Please do not call me. Like don't send me the virus. Uh, it's it, I don't know. I'm disappointed. It's a fun thing to go to. Um, it has a good vibe to it. It's a very unique atmosphere. among all the different yeah. demo days I've been to. So I'm I'm saddened, I guess, by it, which is a weird thing to say about a startup thing. But like,
1: it's a bummer. Well, it's it's a unique event, but it's also uh, you know a trendsetter. You know, a lot of the practices that YC pioneered in the industry have been borrowed by other accelerators, other venture firms. So not just the demo day concept, but the handshake protocol. Which which Mm -hmm. today is definitely not the way to go about sealing a deal, apparently, anymore in the coronavirus era. And uh, I expect more changes. So you know, the fact that they're going to go to fully remote is an amazing experiment. Like, if it's just as successful, you know, will other demo days also go fully remote as well? But I want to. I we have one more important story talking about a virtual investment. Actually, Sequoia had a real investment this week that (laughs) became suddenly a virtual investment. So one of the big news stories. Alex, do do you want to go over it, or should I go over it?
0: Oh no, please! I'm just, like, i just—I can't wait to hear you tell it. I'm so you excited. Love, you
1: love that—that that was a, the segue of segways right there. You know, that, that's <laughs> like driving around on a segway and be like, "Let me segue on that." Uh, okay. So, so Sequoia had done a thir- 35 million, um, of which I think they did 21 into a, a, a payments facilitator startup called Phoenix. So, Phoenix so is like the bare metal of payments startups. It's designed for large enterprise customers who want to customize and have the engineering talent built in. So, think think like a large company like Facebook needs to accept payments, doesn't want to necessarily build it out themselves. Um, or someone like Shopify. So they're, they're a little bit more bare metal than their competitor Stripe. It just so happens that Sequoia is a massive investor in Stripe, actually has billions of dollars of returns sitting on its balance sheet from Stripe. And um, somehow, I guess if you read in between the lines, and I've also heard some stuff from the ecosystem, Sequoia basically ran into Phoenix at a conference and basically ran through a full Series A round, I, I guess in like two or three days. I think in our story, we're uh, quoting it uh, as 48 hours. And no one ever figured out that Phoenix is a direct competitor to Stripe. As you can imagine, if you had made someone several billion dollars, at least on paper, and they're on your board, I believe, I, I, I believe Sequoia chairs the board, but they, they're definitely on the board. Mike Moritz is on the board. And you found out that they had invested in a direct competitor. I would be a little incensed. Uh, I got to say so Pissed. myself. And so Sequoia did something that I've never seen in the industry ever, which is they handed the money, uh, they actually handed their equity back to Phoenix. So Phoenix is keeping Sequoia's dollars, keeping Sequoia's equity and they just ripped up the term sheet and said, here's 21 million, enjoy your life, and walked away from the deal. And so, you know, their real investment became a virtual one. But what, a, what an unbelievable story about, you know, the speed at which these deals are doing, the fact that no one realized that, like, a payment facilitator somehow competes with a payments infrastructure company. I mean, this
0: is, this is nuts, particularly from a top firm. Yeah, but you can tell Phoenix was hot. Like, I, I talked to Phoenix way before their, their round was announced, and I also covered the round. Um, but you could tell that investors were shepherding this company into people's attention. Like they wanted, people wanted me to talk to this company because they were very excited about it. And the amount of push that a company gets behind the scenes from investors is usually an indication of how hot it is slash how fast it's growing. So when I heard about this round, I wasn't shocked. I was surprised by the Stripe thing. And I asked them about this. I talked to the CEO, Richie about this. And he was like, look, Stripe's great. You know, we tell our friends, you know, start off with Stripe, but if you want to get something bigger, Come with us. And there's a, a there's a distinction in how they, they price mostly. Stripe is usually, I think, Danny, like a swipe, like some number of cents and then a percent mm-hmm. kind of That's how to set up a That's bit like correct. square. Yeah. And what Phoenix is, is a SaaS company. They want to be thought of as a SaaS software company that does payments, not a payments company. So you pay them a flat fee based on your volume and you pay them like a software, you know, cost as opposed to like a per transaction fee. So it's different-ish. But I mean, if me, a dumb person on a call with them not making an investment was like what about stripe how did sequoia not you know like like they it didn't seem that different to me on the call i did have it teased out by the ceo and i am not even in the guts of the round i didn't have access to the, the their real pitch deck or anything so it, it,
2: it sorry go I was, for it, a part of me is skeptical though that sequoia didn't consider The competitive nature, um, I just because I feel like the messaging was so clear when I so I covered their series A and they actually hopped on a Zoom call with me, had a whiteboard behind them and like ran me through how their business works was really helpful to understand their payment plumbing processing. (laughs) But they were very specific in that how it was disrupting payments in a very unstripe like way. And that's a direct quote from their um, VP of growth, Jero. And I just thought that the messaging felt so specific that there was something that must have happened behind the scenes. And I, this is definitely speculation, but just thinking that they knew that they had to differ because people were going to ask that question. Any good reporter would ask that question. Any investor definitely asked that question.
0: And yet the deal got done. Mm-hmm. The deal got all the way to being done, consummated and announced. And then a month later, it got taken back. So I. So, Danny, your context is very helpful. Tosh, the useful data point. Uh, I read Kia Kokolacheva's story in Axios. I posted part of my interview. I still think we're missing the, the catalyzing bit of dissent. People are saying that, oh, you know, Stripe wasn't behind this. Maybe. You know, I, I don't think we actually know yet who was this who threw up the red flag. But no one walks away from $21 million in a board seat and a hot deal unless there's a real reason for it. And I, I have yet to believe anything that I've heard entirely. I think we have fractions of the truth and not the entire picture. Well, here's the truth um, from
1: my perspective, which is this is the deal I always want as a founder. I want my investor to invest after investing in their uh, competitor. And I just walk away with $21 million of free cash in the bank sheet and, and no equity dilution whatsoever. Like that, that's the best deal of the, like I mean, people aren't, you know, worried about investments in the coronavirus era, the best investments of, you know, we've ever seen before, at least from a founder's perspective um, just happened. So maybe we'll see more of these coming up here shortly.
0: I mean, I mean, I don't think we'll, if, if I see another deal like this, I'll, I'll be in awe because this this is like a an I don't have words for it. I just literally failed at English. Um, it's, a, it's a screw up because I can't say fuck on the show. Apparently, it's a screw up. Uh, so large. that- I was that- gonna say cluster fuck, but does it, does it if you
1: add cluster to it, does it still count from an emphasis? No, 90? but you can't say
0: fustercluck or goat rodeo as a stand-in. Ah, so you can say okay, that go. goat rodeo because cluster fuck is banned. You know, you can't say cluster fuck on the show. <laughs> Um, Anywho, the point is Sequoia uh, made an error so large that we're still talking about it You know, a couple of weeks later on. So I don't think we'll see this again. But if we do, we will talk about it on the show. But we are out of time, and so we must conclude. Natasha, thank you for joining. Thank you for being here. Lovely to have you. Thank
2: you for having me and for joining the
0: team. Lovely. And Danny, as always, a treat. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing everyone uh, next uh, Thursday. I am recording. Danny, I'm are you
1: recording. recording? Oh, should, am I doing the right size? Oh, good. I'm at maximum. Okay, good. We're at the gigabyte a second. All day. right, ladies
0: and gentlemen. Bruh, I was literally born to fuck this intro the first time, so let's do it.